All right, welcome to another Couch GM prod- podcast. Today we are live with the Locked On Mariners crew in Ty and Colby. So first off, thank you to you, you both for taking the time to uh, talk tonight. Yeah, appreciate you uh, having us on, man. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, excited to talk some ball. Yeah, so first off, kind of like I do on my podcast at the beginning, I'd like to get to know you guys, your story, how you got into creating content for Locked On Mariners and just how that came to be. So if you guys want to start off, talk about your background, how you got into it. Yeah, so um, Colby was already at Soto Mojo, which is the fan-sided um, website for the Mariners. Uh, I applied to to write there. Uh, he kind of fired me, right? Like you, you had a say. I was right? desperate. Yeah, yeah, you were you were desperate. I was desperate for writers and content creators, and Ty yeah. one of the only people to apply. So was, right. uh, I guess <laughs> end of the list. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so started doing that. I was just like a contributor. He was the site expert. Uh, and then I ended up being like the co-site expert and we started doing a podcast together. And once our time at Fansided kind of, uh, ran out, you know, there's a whole story that, that goes along with that. I got inspired know. is what he's I, trying I, to yeah, yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll get into that later, but, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we decided, you know what, let's, let's keep talking ball together. Cause, um, you know, I was telling you before we went live. Like Colby and I really bonded over the Mariners rebuild. It was right at the start of the rebuild and he liked what they were doing with the rebuild. I liked what they were doing with the rebuild. We just kind of like vibed on that level and that pretty much led into us just podcasting together almost every single day. (laughs) And so now, now we're here. Yeah. So you guys were friends before Uh, Ty, you're in Toronto. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I was I was born and raised in Washington for 12 years, moved to New Mexico with my family, uh, and then met who eventually became my wife on the internet. And uh, she lives here in Toronto, and I, uh, I decided to move here, become a permanent resident. There you go. How about you, Colby? Yeah, so uh, different story to how Ty uh, presented it. Uh, sure. Born and raised in Washington, lived here my entire life. Don't ever want to leave. Uh, Love the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so basically, like Ty said, I was I was a new site expert at at Soto Mojo. You know, desperate for writers, and we couldn't pay anybody. And Ty was a schmuck who was willing to write for free, so (laughs) hired him. Um, And then he kind of forced his way into be my my uh, co site expert by stealing half of my money and just saying, yep. yeah, I'm going to do yeah, yeah. your side expert yeah. now. And so yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's how yeah, that yeah. started. <laughs> we started doing a podcast for fun, like a, the Soto Mojo podcast. And that would just be whenever um, yeah. it was terrible. I mean, we went back. Oh, it's we so bad. First, no one go episode. look back at those. Yeah. <laughs> you can find them. They're still out there, but like, they were, don't do they that. Were, don't do that. Bad. They were really bad. Um, but yeah, you know, we were writing at uh, Soto and then, um, something transpired. I'll let Ty decide whether or not he wants to tell everybody why we got fired. Um, but yeah, so we were just, Hey, what are we going to do? What's the next step? And, and so we started, uh, control the zone, uh, the podcast, our Patreon podcast. And then, uh, we had a website for a brief minute and then Ty completely stopped writing on that because he got hired at the, at the time. Was it Seahawk Maven, Ty? It was, it was, it was? Seahawk Maven at the time. Seahawk yeah, Maven. Yeah. A job that I got him. Again, another yep. job that he yeah, got. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so he wrote there for a year. The website <laughs> kind of died, but we kept doing the podcast. And, uh, you know, we 
very small Patreon podcast. It wasn't really doing much, uh, you know, but it was, it was fun to record. And then it was, must've been June of 2021. We've been doing it for about a year. Um, you know, uh, somebody reached out to Ty. That was it Jeff or, I mean, it I would know who it was. It was, uh, it was Sean Woodley, who's the host of Lockdown Raptors. He was the head of um, Lockdown's MLB division at the time. That's now yeah. Jeff Carr, who does Lockdown Reds. But yeah, he reached out, and um, you know, we kind of owe it to Jason Churchill, because he reached out to, to Churchill initially, and Churchill recommended us. And so, um, yeah, Sean reached out, and I was like, hey, you know, like I, I've been doing this podcast with, uh, with Colby. I would love to have a co-host if that's possible. And he's like, yeah, great. So um we were just kind of off and running from that point forward started uh you know we took it over it was it was initially hosted by dc lundberg uh he stopped doing it uh, i think around june or july uh and then we we picked it up in in august in uh, early august 2021 and doing been doing it every single day pretty much ever since yeah right on can definitely uh appreciate the the dedication and the amount of times that you guys have to jump on the podcast i'm curious with your process like the weekly schedule what that looks like for you guys yeah so um we record every day um to try and keep it as current as possible so we don't we we avoid recording ahead of time like days ahead of time as much as possible unless you know like this past march colby and i both had like big trips we were going on so we had to record ahead of time there was just no way mm-hmm. around that uh, but for the most part, we try to record the the day of posting. Uh, so mm-hmm. usually we'll start recording around three my time, Colby uh, noon, Colby's time. Um, I'm usually late. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll record around then, and I'll get to editing and get that thing up as soon as I can. There there really isn't like a huge plan around it. Uh, it's just like whenever it's ready, it's it's going out. Yeah. Cool. And then, and then with the locked on series, I know that there's like locked on NFL and basketball, I believe and MLB. What's that look like as far as, you know, do they just kind of, Hey, here's the, here's the brand. It's, it's up to you guys to go ahead and run with it and do what you want with it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they have some direction uh, in terms of things that like we need to say or mention on the show. Like, you know, we have a lot of like obviously we have the ad reads that's how we get right. paid first and foremost and, yeah. and we don't get to decide the ads like those are already yeah. predetermined they're they're uh, network wide ads uh but we have to read the ads there's you know certain slogans and things that we need to remind people of and that's really all they ask of us though and, and the rest is just up to us you know as long as we just stay on task we're talking about the team that's about it yeah did you guys hear that we have nothing to do with the ads okay we have nothing to do with we the don't ads. write them we don't pick them i just read we the read words them. that are on the paper <laughs> yeah. take your complaints somewhere else <laughs> and that's kind of some foresight into where media i, I feel like is heading as we're seeing with the, the uh um root sports deal what's going on things are moving towards streaming and yeah. the podcasting has been huge so this is really kind of where things are heading yeah yeah it's um it's definitely like i mean you can see it right now in the in the mariners sphere in general i mean like with you right with like guys like jay's trident podcast there's been a ton of creators that have been popping mariner mojo yeah like the the thing that i tell people a lot like because a lot of people have asked colby and i like how did you get into this how have you grown your podcast and really like what i say is like i don't think it's really much of what we're doing we were just early 
like there weren't a lot of people at the time that we started doing this more seriously that were talking about the Mariners in this kind of capacity. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, as we've seen again, like Mariner Mojo, Jay's Trident Podcast, and all these people are now making podcasts and making content surrounding the Mariners. Um, and it's great, man. I, I love seeing it. Yeah, I mean, the more it's it's all about building community, really. And mm -hmm. the more you know, people will find their their channels or their people that they can um, that they agree with or that they you know lock onto basically and and watch all of the all of their content. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious how you guys kind of process your info and collaborate before a podcast. Do you just jump on, have a quick conversation, and then hit live, or how does that work? Because when big deals happen, you know, do you take a moment to let yourself get emotional before you have to analyze the trade and realize what's going on? Colby, I think you want to take this one. <laughs> no, See it on your um, face. <laughs> yeah. So like the the big episodes, like the the ones that do really well for us and the ones that people are interested in are obviously the ones right after a major deal is announced. I think um or a big game. Like, or a big game, right? The playoff series, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think like for us, it, it's pretty funny. We can trace like when we, we really started to take off as a channel, as a podcast. Uh, pretty clearly to the Mariners 14 game win streak that they had before the all-star break. And then obviously uh, shortly after they acquired Luis Castillo. And, and that's when we really the Luis Castillo podcast, you know, pretty after the fact, I think, you know, we got the news, the Mariners were playing in a, in a clunker of a game against the Astros. They were down like 10, nothing or something crazy like that. And so, yeah, Ty and I, I was like, Hey, we need to record ties needed like 20 minutes to get set up and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, at the meantime, I'm just, I'm just trying to read, get as much info as I can before the show starts. And then, um, typically we just let it rip. Uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, there's analytical Colby and there's emotional Colby. And typically that day after or the day of the show, it's more emotional. Yeah, um, yeah, it's more, yeah. you know, that, that's when I go on my rants that people seem to like, uh, <laughs> particularly Louis, Louis Castillo episode was uh, a big one for me. So. Uh, yeah, typically it's, I want to go now and I want to get, you know, let's just get this out there. Let's get, uh, first, first emotion, like let's get that out there and see how we react to this. And then usually the day after is when it's a little more, you know, like, Hey, what's the pros, what's the cons? Here's how this fits. Here's what they could do next. But the day of like, to me, news is like sports news is something to get excited about, uh, or it's something yeah. to have an immediate reaction to. And so for me, I want to get that reaction out there as soon as we can as yeah. soon as it's feasible because i think that's the uh, the raw emotion that you get like the adrenaline you go through after a big you know big game or a big signing or a big trade or something that's a lot of fun for me yeah. and it's, yeah. uh those are the episodes i like to record the most so if i yeah. have to you know text high at 4 30 on christmas eve and tell him to you know get on his uh get his setup ready to go because we're podcasting about mitch garver then that's what we're gonna do because yeah. I enjoy those shows. Yeah. 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 You kind of let yourself be a fan for a little bit. And then the next day it's more so the analyst coming out yeah. on the next podcast. Yeah. It's definitely like, those are definitely like the unhinged shows. Right. And then it's like yeah. the next day we'll come back and we'll really dive into stuff. Now that we've like processed it, done some more research, et cetera. Um, you know, I do like to try and, and process some things you know as much as i can before getting on even the initial show but uh for the most part you know i, I want to try and let it rip and just kind of react and i think that's more fun too 
Yeah. Have, have you done any live podcasts? No. Um, and it's spe specifically with the locked on stuff, because we have to do ads and all this stuff. I, I want to yeah. try and have that as uniform as possible. So the, the live stuff that could get a little funky and especially like if, you know, one of us have an internet connection issue or something like that, like, I don't want to have to try and like account for that. I'd rather just, you know, if like I need to edit something out or, or what have you, you know, cause there's just like little quirks. Sometimes my mic will just randomly disconnect for no reason. Like a, a lot of our listeners know that lockdown Mariners is synonymous with technical issues. So like there's just too much sketchiness to, to do uh, live shows, at least in that uh, regard. But we have done, uh, you know, live streams on our other channel, which is basically dead at this point. But we do do the occasional live stream on there uh, where we just kind of let loose and we're just ourselves yeah. on there and just kind of you know, talk with the chat, answer some questions and all that stuff. So we do try and dive into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So I guess getting into uh, this off season with the Mariners, kind of talking through the initial emotions. I'm curious what you guys, you know, initially thought with the Geno trade, with the Kelnick trade, with what's been going on this entire off season. And then once you've had some time to process that, what are your thoughts on where things currently stand? I know after the Mitch Garver signing, things are a bit better. And then, you know, this Robbie Ray trade. So walk me through this offseason for you guys. Colby, want to go first? Sure. Um, so kind of the, the offseason of two halves here. Uh, and of course, it all kind of kicks off with, with you know, Jerry's infamous postseason presser where he drops the 54% quote. And, you know, even though I think – most of us understood what he was trying to say in the moment. It it didn't play at all. And, and, yeah. you know, we're doing you a favor and all that's like, it, it was a blunder. There's no doubt about that. Jerry will admit that himself, but obviously it starts there. And then, you know, you, you're kind of expecting, okay, like this is the year that we were told this is going to be the ramp up. We've, we've established our, our core. And now we can add to it. We have all this payroll space and then, you know, John Stanton's dug out from over Jerry DePoto. I, I think literally the eve of free agency. Like, I think that is right when they start to to really pull back that because you listen to the talk before that, it's yep, payroll's going up. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And then right around the GM meetings, we start to hear like, well, you know, it'll be yeah. it'll be higher than last year. And that's not what we want to hear. We want to hear it's going up significantly. So yeah, when you start, when you see the deals come in, the Geno trade, uh, when you see the, the Kelnick trade is kind of the big one uh, that just kind of signals where the what the front office is being forced to do. Uh, you hate it as a fan because you grow attached to these guys and um, they're good players and, and they didn't get better with those trades. I mean, that's not really debatable, at least at the time they didn't get better with those trades. And that's kind of the whole point. And, and you're just, you're taking on less than you should for guys just to clear their contract and it sucks. And and so I, I think, you know, for me, the early stages are about trying to trying to separate the front office from ownership, which I know is hard for some people. They see them as management just in general. And, and you know, it, it stinks. But uh, I think when you look at the moves that have been made recently and you've kind of seen the the creative uh, nature of Jerry DePoto and, and, and Justin Hollander, certainly you, you look at, you know, in the past, you look at the draft classes they brought in, the international free agency, you look at most of the most of them, they work out pretty well. So it, it's really frustrating to think you have a at least good, if not great, like baseball ops department who's doing their job well, only to be kind of you know 
chopped down at the knees by ownership who continues to pull the rug out from under this, this, you know, this baseball ops department who just wants to do their job, give these guys a number and let them go. So, uh, it it was, it was frustrating. It still is. It still really is. Like I hate the reason why we have to make the, the Robbie Ray trade. I hate the reason why, uh, Luke Rayleigh is, is so like valuable to Seattle, but that's just the reality of, you know, what Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander are trying to deal with. And so I'm trying to, as a fan, I'm trying to, uh, you know, kind of maneuver my thought process to accept the reality that Mariners ownership is bad. Uh, but Mariners baseball ops, the people who actually run the baseball side of things, appear to be really good at their job. And so, yeah. you know, you just look at what's happened in the last two weeks, three weeks. They've acquired Luke Rayleigh, Mitch Haniger. Anthony Desclafani and and Mitch Garver for Jose Caballero and twelve and twelve million bucks like that's a pretty good haul. So it's it's been frustrating. There's no doubt about it. But uh, you know I think we're finally starting to turn a corner. And I think you look at what the Mariners have accomplished this offseason. You look at what they still have room to do. Um, it's really hard for me to not uh, applaud the efforts of the front office in spite of uh, the troublesome uh, ownership group that time and time again has proven that they are only interested in winning if it fits in their budget. Yeah. Yeah. This is what makes this off season so frustrating. The last couple of off seasons really so frustrating in retrospect is that I really do think that this front office and the baseball ops group in general is very good at what they do. They're not infallible. I'm not saying that they're elite and, and that they're not without mistakes. Right. But I think that they're very good at what they, uh, what they do and ownership basically restricting them not giving them the resources that they deserve to really polish this thing off is is just really disappointing um just the the way that this organization wants to operate and some of the messaging that is that has come out over the last couple months and especially you know the the press conference with jerry and all that i mean it's just it's an f of an off season just from a vibes standpoint and then it just gets worse and worse and worse when you know, Gino gets traded and Kelnick gets traded and you understand what the purpose of those trades ultimately is and what the position the front office has been put in because of ownership and ownership's excuses uh, for not wanting to invest more money into this ball club. Um, and so that's just like, that's not going to be a race. No matter what the front office does is going to erase that ultimately. Because like, even if the, the front office knocks the rest of this offseason out of the park, there's still what the driving force of why they've had to make some of these decisions, right? That's always going to be there. So that's just unavoidable. Uh, but in terms of what the front office has done now after clearing the necessary payroll and kind of reassessing where what they need and, and how they need to go about that, I really like what they've done. You know, I know that there's a lot of injury concerns with the players that they brought in, but you can see the vision, at least I can. I, I can see the vision yeah. of what they're trying to build right now. And I said even at the the start of the offseason, back when we didn't have the context of the financial issues and all that, at least to this degree, right? I think we always knew that there were some financial issues at play here. But before that, even you know, when the possibility of Otani was popular and all that stuff, I said that they didn't. I didn't feel like they necessarily needed to add another core player, right? Would totally take that. I would do backflips if they got Otani or Bellinger or whoever. But right. if they just 
beefed up the supporting cast behind it specifically in their lineup behind julio and jp and cal i think they would be more than fine they would be more than capable of competing for the division and anything else in the american league right now um so i think they've started to do that i think the mitch garver signing is great for that i think you know getting mitch hanniger back i view mitch hanniger in the in basically a very similar light to how we viewed you know the possibility of adding someone like adam duvall or tommy fam or, or whatever so that accomplishes essentially that and then luke Rayleigh, i think especially just getting him for just jose caballero you know right. salute to cabby and everything that he was able to do for them this season he was a lot of fun to watch but getting a, a potentially everyday outfielder for jose caballero who i don't think there was a i don't think it was a hundred percent that he was making the roster coming out of spring right. training definitely like, i think that I think that's a great, great deal for them. So I'm just really intrigued to see how they finish this thing off, right? They're obviously not going to make the big splash. I know there's like little rumors and stuff out there about Blake Snell and people are still hoping for all that. I don't expect that. I, I do believe them when they say that they're, you know, looking for probably an out, you know, an infielder and maybe a relief arm. And, you know, we'll see what, of what significance those players are and what kind of money or resources that's going to take. But, you know, they're I, I I feel like they're in a very similar spot right now in their off season to where they were last off season when you know they signed AJ Pollock, right? It was like, all right, they just need one more bat. They just need to do this one thing, and then I feel pretty good about it. And right now, I feel pretty similar that it, they just need to do one, maybe two more things, and I feel pretty good about where they are. But we'll see what that is, right? Because you know, last year they followed up the Pollock signing with a lot of silence, and then here's Tommy Lastella, right? And that was it. So we'll we'll see. It could be that again. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely has been a tale of two halves with the teardown and then the rebuild, basically, um, as far as payroll is concerned and freeing up that space. Um, I'm kind of surprised looking at that Robbie Ray trade that the Giants were willing to take on his full contract after that an injury like that. Yeah. Um, and they were able to free up that that money for the future seasons to be able to potentially add. Um, I guess. Did you and and then the fact I guess here's a follow up question to that trade, how big of a win was it to not just free up those future dollars with Robbie Ray's contract, but to also not have to trade one of your young controllable, high ceiling starters that you can now use for this next year? Yeah, well, I, one on the the starting pitching front. I mean, the more I thought about it, because I, I, at the start of the offseason, I was like everyone else, where it's like, okay, well if you're not going to have a ton of money to spend on offense and in general, like generally speaking, the the offensive market was bad you know it is bad in free agency this year but you know if you're going to add the bat that you need use some of your starting pitching excess but now that we have the context of these financial issues a bit more and kind of looking down the road and you know we've had ryan divish kind of send people in a frenzy about you know like they might have to trade logan gilbert in a year or two or they might have to trade george kirby in a, you know in a few years bryce miller and brian Wu might be very very important to this franchise down the road so you know having two club controlled cheap starting pitchers who might be you know middle of the rotation caliber as soon as this year like that's incredibly important to this franchise so um i understand now more so than ever why they would feel that it's so necessary to keep those guys Uh, i think they're very very crucial to not just this year's team, but future Mariners teams uh, from that perspective. Um, what was the second part of your question? Or what, what was the crux of your question? 
Yeah, it was just kind of like how big of a win was it to now not have to trade one of those young guys because you were able right. to convince the Giants to take on Robbie Ray, who just came off that huge injury. Right. To- yeah. So so why would they why would the Giants want to take on that money as well? Um, I think it's a really interesting challenge trade, right? I think the Giants are thinking that they're gonna get Robbie Ray back and like he's gonna be a middle of the rotation starter. And I think there's good reason to think that they're going to get that. I think there's a very easy path here for the Giants to end up getting the best player out of this deal. But I, I think it makes sense for for both teams, right? Um, and especially the Mariners. And and we'll see how much of a win it is taking that money off of the books specifically for 2026 because that that can allow them to be pretty creative with what they add either this winter or you know next winter in terms of backloading some deals right you know maybe they they do get Jorge Soler which obviously is kind of an awkward fit now on the roster with Hanniger and Garver in the mix but if they you know were to sign him they could turn him into like a 10 to 12 million dollar player in 2024 and backload the contract and use some of that money that they freed up now with with Ray in 2026 because all of a sudden you have 25 million dollars that you were pretty much expecting to have to pay out just gone that's just that doesn't exist anymore so you know i we say this all the time whenever the mariners free up money it's like we're never really going to know if they're actually using that if they're actually going to use that money or not like we'll never really have the full context of that but uh, yeah, I would like to see them kind of follow that up with a creative way to to add some payroll here. What are the odds we see uh, the Mariners front office follow the Dodgers and uh, get some deferrals going? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how many players are actually interested in that hap- in, in that with Mariners, and we'll see if the Mariners are actually interested in right. committing a single cent in the 2030s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're already committing to Julio in the 2030s if his that's uh, true. option gets picked up. But that's true. That's good. Yeah, point. I would say it's it's highly unlikely. Um, I think we could see some backloaded deals, and I think it really depends on on the player because uh, there are some players who they're just not going to be interested in that. Uh, they're also not going to be interested in that from Seattle. If, if they're going to sign with Seattle, they're going to want you know as much money as they can get up front right now. Uh, yeah. You know, it's unfortunately just the geography and and the. Uh, I guess, reputation of the Mariners that like, yeah, you know, this is not a great place to come and hit in particular if you're a hitter. Like, obviously this refers to the Cody Bellinger types, like not a great place to hit. So I don't want to go there and and think I'm going to get another contract after this because my numbers are probably going to go down. Uh, The deferral stuff might come into play with an arm, particularly one who maybe has a desire to play in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I think you could see it if, you know, Blake from Shoreline, as we call him, yeah, if yeah, he yeah. if he really is desperate to come and, and pitch for Seattle, uh, then maybe you can make it work that way. But even then, I don't I don't think that's really a fit that uh, Seattle wants to go down. Um, but I just well, I don't think you're going to see deferrals, but I think you will see backload of money. And they did it a little bit with the Garver contract. So they're yeah. certainly willing to do it. I think you're going to see options. I think you could see multi-year options. They The Mariners have proven they'll get creative to get guys. They got they gave Robbie Ray the opt-outs. multi-year option, the opt-out, right? They gave Yusei Kikuchi this, you know, of, they had a team option and a player option. And so um, they will get creative with opt-outs and, and, you know, backloading and stuff like that. I just don't think we're going to see deferrals. Um, I think at least not significantly, but I mean, I think the Dodgers are kind of the only team right now doing that. Um, and, you know, to think the Mariners would do something the Dodgers would do. Well, um, and, yeah. And again, it's, there's probably a reason that the only team doing it right now is the Dodgers, right? Cause they're the Dodgers. 
a lot of a lot of players want to play for the Dodgers. So you know, I don't know if we can say the same about the Mariners, but eh, you never know. Like maybe 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 Blake Snell would do that, but also with with Snell, I just don't know how much interest the Mariners have in that right now. Because again, that's committing significant dollars long term to another pitcher when it, it seems like right now they're very much valuing how you know little they're having to pay one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball right now. So, and what do you figure if they did get Blake Snell? Then do the, are they forced to trade one of those younger guys? Because are you going to send Brian Wu back to AAA or Double I don't think so. I you know I don't think it's the worst idea in the world because like you can manage his innings a little bit better uh, that way uh, and just kind of ease him into the swing of it. Because like here's here's the thing too, right? Is like he blew past his career high in innings last year. Right. Is that going to have an impact on him going into this year? Does he need to be kind of eased in where he only goes maybe you know? one to two innings and outing for the first couple of starts of the year, et cetera. Like you don't really want to do that at the major league level, but you can do that down in double a because who cares what the travelers do? Who cares if the travelers win or lose? Right. So there's obviously that. Um, so I don't think that's like necessarily out of the question. Um, but I do think like if you are signing Blake Snell, that does, it does make you feel more like you, you, probably should take advantage of the value that you have in that rotation to try and add more offense but mm-hmm. yeah one thing it might do uh i don't know if it makes you trade brian Wu, but it probably makes you more likely to trade logan gilbert in the next year or two That's uh, true, because yeah. you know obviously gilbert's getting to the point where he's making some money it's only five million dollars next year it'll be like 10 or 11 like totally worth it uh but you know, your ARP three, ARP four, he's going to be making 15 to 20 million. And then how likely is he to sign an extension? Well, if you have, you know, Blake Snell on a six year contract or whatever, you might be more willing to do that because Wu and Miller cheap. So we don't know if payroll strengths are going to move forward, how they're going to look moving forward until we have some solution on the RSN. And even then, do you trust John Stanton if he tells you that the payroll is going to go up significantly in two, three years? I, I sure as heck wouldn't. So, um, I think if you sign Snell, you're definitely more open to trading a pitcher. I just wonder maybe they might prefer in that scenario to trade Logan Gilbert, which right. I'm not a huge fan of. But but also uh, if you're I, trying to maximize your return on one of your pitchers, that's the probably the guy to do it with. So yeah, yeah. No, I just yeah. Go for it. I just I don't I don't know what team could even give you a package worthy of trading yeah. Logan Gilbert though. That's the other thing too. Find the team that has. I mean, find the pitcher who's been as good as Logan Gilbert, who got traded with four years of club control left, and then tell me what that package looks like today, and then tell me which team has the ammo to trade for Logan Gilbert without completely gutting the rest of their team. It, it's not an easy fit. Yeah. Did you did you guys ever get on the uh, whole trade Luis Castillo train or digest no. that a little bit? No. no not an option. No. The, the, the thing I mean, to... Option. The thing yeah. to keep in mind, though, all right, so same thing with Robbie Ray. I didn't know about this with right. Ray beforehand, but and now I and now I just recently found out about this with Castillo. So with Ray, one of the reasons that they were able to trade him to San Francisco is because at the start of the new year, his no trade clause converted into a one million dollar trade assignment. Same thing happens to Luis Castillo after 2025. So I think that's maybe when we start talking more seriously about them trading Casio is when that no trade clause converts into that uh, trade assignment. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And we've we've seen them in the drafts, you know, build up this wave of big, you know, pitching and Gilbert and Kirby and these guys coming through the system. Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, 
now we're starting to see them shift the focus of the minor leagues really into that middle infield uh, bat heavy um, depth there. So which guys coming up are you guys looking after that might be able to impact the roster maybe this next year, if any, from the minor leagues? Yeah, this this year is going to be a little bit tough uh, for for that because uh, I think most of the like impact guys, their ETA is sometime next year. Now, you could see Cole Young in late August or September. Like he's certainly on that that path, and he is excelling. Probably start year one. It's he's being made by the end. So, like the biggest prospect I could conceivably see getting a cup of coffee this year. But in terms of like, where's your Bryce Miller? Where's your Brian Wu for this year? I don't think you have that guy. I think you're looking at Ryan Bliss, uh, who, you know, is, is a fun prospect. I like Ryan Bliss, uh, but there's questions there. I think you're looking at Zach Deloach, who for me is a fourth, fifth outfielder. That's all he's ever been. That's all he's probably ever going to be, but he might be able to help. And then uh, depending on, you know, what the Mariners decide to do with Ty France, Tyler Locklear is is probably the highest upside uh, bat that I would say has a realistic shot of getting significant plate appearances this year for Seattle. So uh, I think it's Locklear, Bliss, and then uh, Deloach a little bit. But, you know, we also shouldn't forget Cade Marlowe, who came up and had an impact last year, uh, but obviously we've seen him. So uh, and we also shouldn't, you know, Overlook the the guys who come out of nowhere like Jose Caballero last year was on his list and he came up and he was a two win player for you and he kind of saved your second base situation for two months so uh, there's always guys who come off the board and then some guys you don't expect and usually for the Mariners it's bullpen arms uh, but when I look at you know just like guys who haven't made their major league debut yet who could come up this year and who could you know conceivably play a big role on this team. There's not a lot. So I would say it's it's Ryan Bliss and, and Tyler Locklear are your two uh, best bets at that. But even even then, I, I don't feel great about uh, either of those guys coming up and, and you know, basically giving you what Bryce Miller and Brian Wu did last year and just in terms of value. No, right. I, th- I think Bliss, like, I, I can definitely see him giving you a, a fairly similar season to what Jose Caballero gave you this past year, which, I mean, that would help. That would certainly help quite a bit. Uh, especially mm-hmm. on the back end of your roster, if like Ryan Bliss is your twenty sixth man essentially, and he's doing that, like you're in a pretty solid spot. Uh, the other guy I would mention too that I don't think you mentioned Colby is Prolando Varela. Now we saw him like a little bit, like a very small amount this season. But if you're looking for, and I mean the the Mariners are apparently looking for this guy according to Ken Rosenthal, like they're they're looking for more help on the back end of their bullpen. They're looking for kind of a third guy to pair with. Uh, Munoz and, and Brash, like you know, they had with Paul Seawald. Baroa has the highest upside of anyone in the Mariners farm system, in my mind, or just sort of in the Mariners organization in general, to be that guy, to be that third high leverage, legit high leverage arm uh, in the back of the bullpen immediately. Uh, he has the stuff for it. The, the problem with him really has just been throwing strikes, but he started throwing more strikes towards the end of the season. And look, I know it's one game, but that one game we saw towards the end of the year with them was pretty electric stuff. So, and, you know, we kind of caught a similar glimpse of that a couple of years ago with Andres Munoz in the season finale against the Angels. Um, the, the, what was that? The, that was the Kyle Seeger game, right? Yeah, that was a yeah. Kyle Seeger game. And Munoz looked awesome in that. And then, you know, he, 
he just took off running the next sure. year. So and also throw Carlos Vargas into the mix. If Carlos you're Vargas, yeah. Potential. Also Jackson, so Jackson Coar looks filthy. I, I watched some of his film and uh, he's got like that Devin Williams type change up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they really like him. And, and I know that people thought of him as a throw in and, you know, Coar was the guy that I really was interested in coming out of Florida. Uh, I think that was the year the Mariners drafted Gilbert. Um, so they made the right call there, no doubt about it. But uh, yeah, you know, he was came up as a, a for, uh, kind of a sinker slider guy and, and he just kind of didn't really work. And then um, it looks like he may have started to find a pitch that he could actually work with. Uh, Coar will be interesting because I there's a non-zero chance he starts. the. I, I think he's got an option left. I could be wrong. Um, but there's a non-zero chance he starts the year in Tacoma and he gets starter innings because the Mariners still do need some, you know, decent starting pitching depth. And, and Coar obviously has, you know, the kind of uh, pedigree that the Mariners tend to to target in their like waiver claims and the small deals. So yeah, Coar is a, a really fun guy. I'm going to, I, that's one of the guys I'm going to watch pretty closely in spring training. Um, I'm intrigued uh, by Coar. I really am. Yeah, even the biggest like Jerry DePoto detractors have to admit that this regime has been very good at identifying arms specifically for the bullpen. So the thing we always say on, on our podcast is like if they make a waiver claim like they, they did today, right? On an arm, pay attention. Like don't rule anything out with any of these guys that they bring in. You know, the the odds are like they're probably roster fodder, <laughs> you know, they're forty man fodder at the end of the day. But sometimes they really hit. And when they hit on these guys, they tend to hit pretty big on them. So, um, yeah, Coar, if they're talking about Coar a lot, that makes me pretty excited about what they may have identified there. Because that's really their thing, right? They identify a certain pitch or a certain tweak that they think they can make to elevate that guy's game. And they've done that a lot. Guys like Paul Seawald can attest to that. And last offseason, the Mariners added uh, Justin Topa, Spire, Saucedo, got yeah. all these guys that you have no clue about and then topa ends up being arguably your best reliever all year consistently um and then i had it's funny because i, I had pete woodworth on and i just had um uh, topa on and asked them you know this mariners pitching lab that everyone is talking about what's so special about what the mariners do compared to what other teams do and and with their pitching and ultimately it comes down to the dominate the zone thing it's the fundamentals of baseball. The more strikes that you throw, the better chance you have at getting guys out. And they, instead of saying, Hey, don't do this. They show them their strengths and say, just yeah. do this more. And yeah. so it's kind of funny how, when you simplify things that ends up being potentially the best thing for them. So, yeah, yeah I think, I think a lot of baseball in general is just, here's what they don't do. And this is why they can never be good. Or this is why they can't, you know, this is why they have a, a floor that's really low and all that stuff. This is what they can't do. And that's what a scout does, right? It's his job because if the scout picks wrong, if he's all in on a guy and he turns out to be trash, it's getting fired, right? There's dozens of who can replace him. So they always kind of lean into the, the negative. And it's amazing what happens when you just turn that on your head and you say, okay, well, if he doesn't do this well, what does he do well? Okay, yeah. well, we'll just have him do that more. Yeah, And it works. It, it's amazing how something that simple, that's, that's something that like, you know, a, a fourth grader would be able to be like, oh, he doesn't do that. He does that good, but he doesn't do that good. Okay, we'll just have him do the thing he does good, right? And it's like, yeah, that that totally makes sense. And yet somehow it's overlooked by a lot of teams um, and a lot of you know player development staffs. Yeah, I think that's something that we can like at least partly attribute to to guys that like Andy McKay, who have kind of dictated the the philosophy of this Mariners regime. 
that you know put your players put your guys in the best positions to succeed right so again if it's like jackson kowar should be throwing his change up more do that instead of telling him to stop throwing x y and z right. in this situation right, right. Yeah. we're going to change your entire wind up because yeah we think we can get an extra mile out of your fastball and say, like, well, you don't need the extra mile out of the fastball. You just need to do this instead because this is what you're already doing. This is what works for you. This is what doesn't do the stuff that works for you. Yeah. It's uh, it, it it's it's funny how often like revolutionary, not that this is revolutionary, but you know what I mean? Like these big ideas that change baseball and all that stuff, they're really simple. They're really basic. And it's like, why didn't more teams just do that? Yeah. And it's just, that's the way the sports yeah. work most of the time. Yeah. Paul Sewell just throw your fastball at the top of the zone, mm-hmm. you know, those types of things. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, really them banking on or uh, detecting and going after velocity because you can't teach velocity, but you can teach how to command or to throw an, an off-speed pitch like Carlos Vargas being added. He, he's up to 101. Um, Coar is up there too. But, um, yeah, so kind of moving into next year, I guess looking at third base, Luis Arias. What do you guys see with him and the potential at third base? Colby loves Luis Urias. Colby thinks that Luis Urias is winning the MVP next year. Colby, tell us why. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think he can be better than, um, I think he could be better than Gino. And I know that Gino is, you know, a super important player to the Mariners because he played here for two years. Um, Mariner fans love guys who say they love Seattle. So that's all it takes. But uh, no, and, and also I love Gino. He's, he's awesome. Good vibes yeah. only, but he wasn't very good last year offensively. He really wasn't, you know, and he, I think he was like a 104 WRC plus, but even that is misleading because he was wildly inconsistent. The power went way down. The bat speed went way down. Like there are some red flags with, with, you know, Suarez. And I think you saw how little the Mariners got for him. That wasn't because they took less. It's because that's what the rest of the league thinks of where Suarez is headed. Well, and it's uh, also not like the the Diamondbacks were the only team interested either. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So. so when I look at Urias, I look at a guy who's 25, 26 years old, a guy who prior to this last year had you know two 110, 112 WRC plus seasons, a guy who can play a good third base, a guy who's a totally passable shortstop. He can play second base. Uh, and I just look at what he did the previous two years and I say, okay, well, what prevented him from doing that in 2023? Is there an obvious reason? Yes, he got hurt. He had a really bad hamstring pull. So I don't, I'm not of the opinion that it's, it's likely that a 25 year old who's been an above average player for two years, all of a sudden forgot how to play baseball, like forgot how to hit. I don't think that that's what happens. So to me, I look at that and I say, why did he struggle so much last year? what's the most simple and most obvious, most likely uh, answer to that question. He got hurt. He played 55 games. He, by the time he got back, he was kind of a part-time player as well. He got hurt. He's a good player, not a great player who got hurt. So he had a bad season. Right. I'm pretty bullish on that guy bouncing back and, and Urias in particular line drive guy, lots of doubles. He probably not going to hit 25, 30 home runs, which is typically what you want out of your third baseman. But I think he's got a real good shot to be at least as good as Gino defensively. Like he's a good defender at multiple spots. And for the last two years, he's been a good solid hitter. Why can't he do that in 2024 as a 26 year old, 27 year old yeah. just makes all the sense in the world to me that he's going to bounce back and he's going to be fine. I, I joke, I say, oh, he's going to be an all-star and all that stuff. Uh, 
two half under better defense at third base, hit 20 home runs, 250, get on base a decent amount. Yeah, of course he can. Why? Because he's already done it. Right. So I'm 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 pretty bullish, I guess, on Urias by even suggesting that he's at least an everyday quality player at the position. So uh, I guess I'm the high guy on on Urias just for that. Yeah, I you know real quick on like Gino, right? There's some real concerns about his bat speed, and it seems like especially like at his age now, you, you kind of wonder if he's just the cliff is there, right? He's he's found the cliff and. And I think a lot of teams like Colby just talked about agreed with that because it wasn't just the Diamondbacks in on him. It was also the Blue Jays. It was the Rays. Like they, I don't know for sure, but I would think that they had some extensive talks with other teams and there were some other offers maybe out there. And when you look at what they got, that's probably the best that they could have gotten. And, you know, like I talked about earlier, like obviously, you know, it seems very obvious that the driving force of that trade is the, the money or at least a good part of it but i i do think there was actually a baseball reason for moving on from gino as well and and going to a much younger player in urias and again like it's it's injuries right you look at his past year at 2023 he suffers an injury injury towards the end of spring training then he suffers an, another injury um later on in the year he gets traded mid-season to boston becomes essentially a part-time player it's a lot of stop and start stop and start stop and start i think there are a lot of like i'm not trying to just make excuses but i do think that there are some legitimate reasons that he just struggled all of a sudden after being an everyday player for the past two years in, in milwaukee it's just like that doesn't typically happen especially with because like we're not again we're not talking about a 32 year old here we're not talking about tommy Lastella and his you know, double Achilles injuries and all this stuff at, you know, 30 plus years old, right? We're talking about, again, you know, a, a mid 20s player who already has two quality seasons under his belt and had a really unfortunate season this past year uh, with a lot of different things that, that kind of factored in. So uh, I feel pretty good about Urias, at least, you know, being like a one and a half, two win player this year. And I think that there's a, the potential for, for more, especially, you know, new situation all that um so i don't think that the mariners are going to be that bad at third base as bad as i think a lot of fans are kind of expecting them to be because they look at really uh, you know a lot of people only look at what gino did this past year or the past couple years in seattle and they look at what urias did this past year and they kind of ignore the the context of why that all happened and they go well that's a significant downgrade and it might be at the end of the day, it very well might be, and maybe Urias has fallen off a cliff. But I do think that there are legitimate reasons to think that that's not the case, that he will be able to bounce back, and that they're going to get quality production out of him. And even the projection models uh, feel pretty similarly about that, too. I think they're projecting Urias to be a uh, more valuable hitter in uh, 2024 than than Gino, so, or uh, just about, you know, close to that. So, um, yeah, you know, but also... If you're able to make it where you're not so reliant upon Urias pr uh, producing and Rojas producing, do it. If you have that chance to do that, then do it. And apparently that's kind of what they're trying to do right now, according to that Rosenthal report. So we'll see. What do you guys think about uh, trading for Polanco? Um, or, and then also after we get off this, you know, talking about Ty France and first base, what they might potentially do there. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that I'm getting hung up on right now with that Rosenthal report is what significance of infielder are they ultimately looking at? Right. Because if they're looking at an everyday guy, considering what their financial limitations are, the fact that they're probably not going to trade one of the pitchers. And as Hollander said last night on the hot stove report, like 90% of the teams in the league don't want to trade for lower level prospects. So factoring that all in, there's like two guys, maybe three, who fit the description of what they're what they would be looking for and what they could afford, essentially, as an everyday second baseman or third baseman. Uh, because they're they're not gonna blow their budget on Matt Chapman. Like, let's just get that out of the way. That's not that's not gonna happen. Right. And I think there are a lot of reasons, just pure baseball reasons, even if they had more money than God, like they to not sign Matt Chapman. So especially for what he's apparently been asking for. So Polanco is obviously one of those guys. Willie Adamas is another guy that I would consider to be in that tier. And then then we get into like the maybes, right? Brandon Lau, maybe. Glaber Torres, maybe. Jeff McNeil, can he throw? Who knows? You know, right now after his elbow injury. So with Polanco, I mean, the, the twins have outright said like, we want to dump payroll, right? Because they're one of those Bally sports teams. They're They're trying to dump payroll despite coming off of a division title and winning a playoff series, all that. So they don't have a ton of leverage, right? Because Polanco is one of like two guys there that makes the most sense in terms of dumping payroll. But also, like you're not going to be the only bidder for Polanco. Uh, so it just really comes down to cost, right? Because if like we get into a territory where they're asking for Cole Young or Cole Emerson, I think the the mayors are telling them, you know, have a nice day, right? But right. if it's like on the high end, if it's like Gabriel Gonzalez and like a mid-leverage reliever like Gabe Spire or someone like that, it hurts, but I probably do it because, again, I'm getting an everyday player that can slot in at either second base or third base. He's not a particularly good defender, but, you know, I'm getting a guy that, you know, two years ago was like a 4-1 player, and the last couple of years has been like a 115-ish WRC plus guy. That really helps my lineup right now. And... I, I ultimately care about what makes my 2024 team better at the end of the day right now. So, yeah. Um, so I, I like the idea. It's just, again, like with everything, it's cost dependent. Yeah, I like Polanco. Uh, good player. Uh, I think he's still got something left in the tank. There's also that option. So it may or may not be a rental depending on how he performs. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think he's probably the best of you know a bad group if that makes sense um and it's not because he's bad it's just because there's not a lot of options so uh i'm i'm into it i I, again i'm i'm not trading woo i'm not trading miller obviously i'm not trading ford emerson i'm probably not even trading like ty pete like i'm trading for this guy and, and i'm taking on his salary um i'm i'd love to get him for like a jonathan classe as the headliner type. Um, but you know, if it takes Gabriel Gonzalez, I, I can totally understand why they do that. Um, so yeah, I, I like Polanco. I'm in, uh, on that idea, assuming the price is in the realm of reason. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty uh, interested in that idea. I think he's just your best option. Uh, and he puts one of Urias or Rojas on the bench. And one of those guys is on the bench. Your starting lineup's probably pretty good. Working off that, let's get into a question here. And uh, if you're watching the stream, uh, make sure to like and subscribe. And so first off here, M's get Gunnar Henderson. O's get Bryce Miller, Tyler Locklear, 
and one more top 10 prospect not named Young Ford or Emerson. He'll take your insults now. So uh, I, I don't know if uh, AP here is familiar with our show that we do every Friday called Fan Fiction Friday, but we we grade Mariners trades on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Uh, 25. <laughs> the Orioles aren't the Orioles aren't trading Gunnar Henderson. That's just right. that's a non-starter at that point. Like the the first sentence you said the first sentence I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe they are if you're trading them George Kirby. Yeah. But like no. I'm not trading George Kirby. <laughs> no. Uh yeah. I don't think anybody is. Uh so yeah, Miller Locklear and then one more top 10 prospect not named your three really good prospects, you're out. Like you're you're already yeah. out. So Yeah. Um, you know, if we assume that the Orioles were interested in training Gunnar Henderson, Miller would certainly have to be a part of it, but it's probably yeah. Miller, Woo, Miller and Woo and like Ford. Like yeah. we're talking about the rookie of the year who was just a four win guy and is a, can right. play shortstop and like he can play just, shortstop, he can play third, both right, at a high level stud like, power, like hit tool. Like you're talking about a five tool guy, like, like trading for Julio after his rookie year, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 on the same level. Yeah. I mean, more or less. Yeah. So what, yeah. What would you take for Julio? That's probably what the Orioles would ask uh, in return. And, and that's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Getting to a few more here. Um, Raul or Raul said, I literally watch y'all listen to you every day. That's shouting out to you guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Texas Rangers fan club. I've seen or clubhouse. I've seen <laughs> some of his stuff um, as a Rangers fan. He hated seeing Garber go up to Seattle so he said that you'll love his bad and he's a super good dude too. I've heard he's a great clubhouse guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. He's, he's terrible. Very... Carf sauce. You're not a, Carf you're not a carb sauce. No, I'm not. That's, that's awful. But, <laughs> but if, I tell you what, if you put up a 135 WRC plus or whatever, I'll call you whatever you want. Yeah. I'll call you whatever, whatever, you want. whatever, whatever. But yeah, now it's no, more, more Mitch is more. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. More Mitch is no problems. <laughs> yeah. That's right. right <laughs> Mitch and then, crazy. yeah. Um, what do you guys think of service as the skipper going into this uh, upcoming season? Fine. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot. Uh oh, Ty, we lost you. Looks like your mic cut out there. Oh, I'll take it from here. Um, <laughs> so my my uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Oh, you're lagging a bit there. Now, now his went out. <laughs> we good? Um. Uh, okay, Ty, your mic is back out now. <laughs> oh, there you go. I think I think you might be back. Are we back? Are we back? Are we good? Yep, you're good. Okay. Okay. Right. And now he's out. <laughs> went out again. Ah, uh, you might want to leave and come back. Try that. But uh, anyways, I, I don't know if you still have me, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, yeah. My, my relationship with Scott as the manager of this fall club is pretty steady, but also at the same time, like occasionally I'll look for a rebound, you know, like, it, cause like there are something Scott does like in an in-game management level that drive me nuts. I don't think he's a great improviser. I think he's really good at, you know, coming up with a plan. And I think when the plan, when, you know, it's a good plan. And when, things fall in line with that plan. He executes it well. He stays the course and he does all that really well. I think when something doesn't go right, for example, like when his starting pitcher struggles, right. And he is so dead set on, well, 
I needed him to go six tonight. Like I need to get at least five out of him. And in the meantime, your four to nothing deficit in the third is six to nothing because he gave up a double. And now the game's over. I think he struggles with, you know, kind of when he has to play, you know, off script a little bit. Um, See, that being said, why we don't there. live shows. This is exactly yeah, that right. makes sense. <laughs> That's right. But uh, that being said, you know, Scott as a, as a uh, culture builder, Scott as a, uh, as a leader, like the things that we don't see on TV on a night to night basis, Scott seems to knock that out of the park. Uh, and he's had to deal with some really difficult clubhouses because, you know, who have not been popular whatsoever. and obviously he has to deal with you know, he kind of has to be the, the player's voice with ownership and, and like he has to deal with all that stuff too so i think scott does a great job with the culture i think for the most part he he makes really good game plans and he executes them well but i think the one area where he struggles a little bit is that you know if the plan you know goes off course like he really struggles to kind of adapt to that but overall how do i feel about him going into the season totally fine. I, he's not to me. All I want from my manager is to not be an issue. Like don't be a part of the problem. I don't think Scott is. I think he does a good job overall. And I think the stuff he does with the culture and all that stuff is really important to this clubhouse because there have been moments where this thing could have gotten fragmented really badly. And Scott's managed to kind of hold it together as far as we know, as far as we're privy to. So I feel totally fine with Scott as, as the manager uh, going forward. I, I'm not you know, if I, if, if I could get Bob Melvin or Kevin Cash, fine. I'm like, sorry, Scott, but I feel right. totally fine. I, I think he's a, you know, top 10-ish manager, and I think he's perfect for what Seattle uh, really needs right now. Yeah, I, I overall feel fine about service. It's also because it's so hard to quantify a manager and, like, the, the manager's impact, especially because we're not in the clubhouse. We don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. And, yeah, he's frustrating you know, in game, there are some very frustrating th uh, things that he does in game. But show me a manager in all of baseball whose fan base doesn't complain about him over the course of a season. Like everyone complains about their manager, everyone complains about their coach, their GM, etc. In every single sport there is, right? So, um, I try not to get too too reactionary with the stuff with Scott because again, we just there's so much context that we will never have. Uh, but from the outside looking in, it does seem like he is a good leader for that clubhouse that he is capable of keeping them together as much as he possibly can because like colby said there there have been some very difficult times in that clubhouse very recently so you know i don't think that he handled the the cal raleigh thing towards the end of the season particularly well uh but overall i i don't have too many gripes with how scott has handled things and as you mentioned fans you know you got to find a scapegoat at some point, if something's going wrong, you got to find something to blame to take right. your yeah. energy out. Right. Um, Christian says, "Put Solaire at first. How hard? How hard could it be? It's incredibly let, hard." Let, let me show you a scene from Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing about putting him in the outfield. It's like that guy's a liability out there. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's such an awkward fit, but also I love Jorge Soler, so. I'm down. <laughs> you got the power that can stand yeah. in any stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. lineup. Great. The defensive alignment. He's got to score some more runs. Make yeah, it yeah. Did you not watch Teoscar Hernandez in the field right. last year? Like it's probably worse than that. 
I mean, I mean, maybe not. It, it'd be hard to be. But. I mean, hey, Teo in April and May, though, was, was yeah, kind of yeah, He surprised us all, sure. <laughs> I mean, but like the Phillies, right? But screw defense, hit dingers. That's the Phillies uh, motto. Right? Yeah, we're just going to hit dingers and we're going to strike guys out. And that's screw outfield defense. Who cares? Yeah, so. I feel like that applies a little bit differently to T-Mobile Park, though. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, when you're not playing in the Little League Park, outfield yeah. defense matters some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, Julio will just catch everything. He's going to have to. There you go. Um, so Joseph says, Ty is an ex-Navy sailor who lived up there in 2011 USS Nimitz. I like I like you say, hey, what's up, sailor? To start the show, it brings me good memories. <laughs> Ahoy, sailors. <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, little video that someone put together of, I think it's uh, Popeye on the ship. With, with Scott service in the background and all these guys popping up. Have you, I'm sure you've seen that, right? Like I, I think, I, I think I've seen that on Twitter. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. We have some very creative people in the Mariners community. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time on Mariners Twitter. Yeah. Um, what are your guys' so, thoughts on signing someone like Juan Yepes or Brian Anderson? Uh, Brian Anderson. Tim Anderson off of that too. Tim Anderson too. Yeah. So Brian Anderson is someone that they've shown interest in in the past and what do we know about Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander? They love circling back on guys. They just did that with Anthony Desclafani. So um, I could definitely apparently, see them do. Apparently also with Luke Rayleigh. Luke Rayleigh, right. apparently. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so I, I could definitely see them going after Anderson, uh, probably in terms of like a, a minor league deal. I, I think he's a good candidate to, to get a minor league deal this year. I don't think he's going to get a major league deal from anyone unless it's like, the Rockies or someone Oakland. like that, Oakland maybe, but uh, I think there's a pretty good shot that you could get him on a minor league deal. And um, yeah, I, um, Juan Yepes, I haven't really thought about at all. I don't really have. I think he's any... signed in Korea or Japan. I think he's going overseas. Actually, yeah. I could be wrong, but I thought I saw a report. That he I don't really have any thoughts on. Over. Yeah, I don't really have any thoughts on him. Um, Tim Anderson, though. I mean, coming off of just a disaster of a year, just terrible. It was garbage this year. But we have seen good Tim Anderson. Good Tim Anderson is fun. He is a very fun baseball player. But if that's like your last edition, it's been a hot Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not super on board with that. But good Tim Anderson is really fun. If they were able to get that somehow, yeah. I could get hyped for Tim Anderson. Like yeah, if he yeah. just, I'd be like, I could oh. cope my way into it. Yeah, yeah. I could, yeah. I could totally like, <laughs> like yeah, you know, I like Tim. Um, <laughs> you know, it's the stuff now. I could, uh, yeah, Brian Anderson. Uh, yeah, I like that on a minor league deal. We did a show a few weeks ago where we, we went over some minor league signing guys and Anderson was definitely way up there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Ty, it's. I think it's universal. I don't think Ty and I invented it, but we do say this often. There is no such thing as a bad minor league signing, um, unless there's off the field issues yeah. to consider. But there is no such thing as a bad. There's no such thing as a bad one year contract, either, unless there's off the field issues to consider. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Blake says, "I don't care about the defense. I just care about the 500 foot nuke shots." Please sign Solaire. That's solid. Yeah, yeah, solid philosophy on that. Yeah, agree. And then, yeah. Uh, qu- question: Do you guys watch 162 games every year? Or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I we, mean, we have tell to... them about the time you left the game early in Toronto this year. Did you watch all that one? <laughs> on the train. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> on the train. <laughs> 
after Cal Walk, after Cal One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, sad. I had a, I had a bad two first games of that series. All right, I was just I'm. It was my birthday. I was I was gonna go celebrate my you, birthday and not be sad about. The you marriage. only get to watch three games live. I know, I know, I I know, I know. But yes, uh, to answer your question, yeah, well, one sixty two. I mean, like if something comes up, then then maybe not. But I pretty much have to watch every game. I mean, it's right. like our job, like literally, right. to, to watch every game. So yeah. Yeah, I, I would say I probably watch about, I don't know, close to 160 live. And then there are times where uh, I have to go back and watch like the last couple innings because before this last September, like I had another job. It was a night job to kind of make ends meet. So uh, I'd have to either go back and, and watch or I'd be watching on my phone while I was supposed to be doing my job. So, uh, yeah, I, I watch, you know, I, I wouldn't say I see every single pitch because there are just sometimes I can't. But at some point I will watch every single game um not always live but always before we do our next show so yeah i I see 162 awesome well uh ty and colby really appreciate your time everyone that's been on the stream thank you for watching and tuning in make sure to go subscribe to locked on mariners if you probably are already um but it's gonna be a fun year for the mariners and thank you again guys yeah thanks so much connor really Mm -hmm. appreciate the invite yep thanks you got it all right